is that this planet is our extended body. This is who we are. We are this planet. And so if, and I always correlate, I take it a little bit further and I'm like, well, hold on. If the planet can't be sustained and we're comparing this to the suicide rates and the mental health crisis all over the world, everyone is concerned in this crisis. You know, it's, it's a universal problem and everyone has an individual relationship to it, but it's a universal problem. It's the same thing. We're decaying. We're absolute, the planet is decaying, our minds are decaying. We are kind of in this folly and, and, and there is no um, way out. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Invictus Mindset Podcast. Today's guest is an actress and a super mom. She's a human explorer and a humanitarian. Somebody that I really believe has has magical Elvis-like dust in the world and somebody that I crossed paths with a few months ago that I absolutely had to have on the podcast. She's a consciousness advocate and the co-founder of the Never Alone campaign, which she co-founded with the famous Deepak Chopra, none other than Gabriella Wright. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Wow. You know, hearing the quote unquote, the introduction, I'm like, wow, okay. Yeah. Is that who I am? Okay. (laughs) I think the most important part, like obviously, like that's just the tip of the iceberg of an incredible resume that you've pieced together over the years. But for me, we're all humans first. And when I met you for the first time at the Society for Brain Mapping and Therapeutics event, you just had, had such a uniqueness about you. And it was, it was a deep thought process. It was that you had roots. And as we subtly discussed a moment ago, like Banksy behind us, Yes. You have so many layers, you know, behind the curtain. And so thank you so much for connecting today. And hopefully our audience and community gets to gets to see the magic that I got to explore a little bit. Oh, thank you so much. I'm just happy. I'm, you know, I'm just joyful. I'm just happy to be with you. And I love sharing as much as, as one can, you know, um, in life. And, and I think that is the, the I almost want to start this conversation because we're laughing and we're smiling. But my mantra for this year is joy is the measure of success and joy is the only measure of my success. And 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 success doesn't mean, you know, the material gains that we think success is today. Success is, you know, how do I feel you know, what is the relationship to, to me, myself, and I? What is my relationship with the world? What is my relationship with my family like? And, and what is my relationship to the mystery, you know, of, of life itself? And, and like that little boy behind you, I totally feel like, okay, so let's go and find out some more. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, it, it's all an adventure and one big exploration. I love that concept, though, that, that joy is the measure of success. How did you kind of come, ter- come to terms with that being this year's mantra? Because I know joy is something that you speak quite, quite often about that word. It ha- seems to have a lot of meaning for you. It does. It has a it has a deep, deep rooted meaning. But but to get to to why I chose this. So because now I, I work alongside 
the incredible Dr. Deepak Chopra. I'm very lucky and, and, I, and I understand um, how lucky I am. So every th- teaching that he is delivering, not only as himself, but also within the Never Alone campaign, where we're looking at how do we free ourselves from suffering on the path to joy? How can we get from suffering to joy and at the same time unravel who we are and understand that suffering exists, but understand that also there is a path out of it and Mm. there is a path to joy. You know, that ultimately is there. And joy is not happiness. Joy is a state of being. And that distinction was very clear to me. And so talking with him on multiple occasions, he, he said this once, he said, joy is the measure of success. I was like, wow. Oh, that is going to be my mantra for this year. <laughs> that is, that is mm-hmm. lit because, because that's what we need. We need to rewrite success. And then I added joy is the only measure of my success to make it a personal, you know, mm-hmm. mantra for, for my year, my, 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 the, the energy in which I want to carry um, this year in. And thank God I did, to be honest, because as you know, like the, the violence against women and girls in Iran, you know, the, the residue, of course, of this ongoing pandemic, the Ukraine-Russian war. I mean, the, it's just a constant flow of distress. Mm-hmm. And so if, I, if that, I don't anchor in joy, meaning I acknowledge the world, but I also have to acknowledge myself on this journey to be able to be in the world, then that is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to measure my success of being in the world by anchoring joy. And that's why I chose it. So much intention behind your words. I love that. And I can't help but but lean into this concept that I feel like in our world right now, so many people are loving things and using people but i feel like we should love people and use things and for whatever reason that that came to mind for me as you were discussing this this feeling of joy because joy isn't something that you can you can necessarily see it's it's felt within the heart and the soul and then as a byproduct you see it on human emotion right through through smile through laughter through a, a certain posture and the frequency at which one, one operates. What are your thoughts around that concept? Because I feel like that's something that you and Deepak and the Chopra Foundation and the Never Alone campaign are, are working towards is really humanizing everybody versus making life so transactional, which we, we, we see a lot of in the world currently. Absolutely. Well, you know, the, the, to begin that, we we are, um, without going too woo-woo, you know, because mm-hmm. I like anchoring this conversation, but um, we are spiritual beings having a human existence. So, so, so within that, we have to understand that the material is our extended body. It's not an object, okay? It's an extension of who we are. So I'm going to give an example to go back into where we want to go with this conversation. But, you know, we all, we're talking about a lot about climate change, right? Climate change, the planet's sustainability, its own. And then we also have suicide, right? Highest cause of, most common cause of death between young adults are 
is suicide, right? And then we also have within that category a lot of climate activists who are killing themselves because they don't see hope. They don't have the the, the vision of the future. They don't they don't see it, and all they see is the consumption of objects. We're mm-hmm. con- over consuming. We're over consuming. We're identifying with objects. We're this and that. So what we're saying is that this planet is our extended body. This is who we are. We are this planet. And so if, and I always correlate, I take it a little bit further and I'm like, well, hold on. If the planet can't be sustained and we're comparing this to the suicide rates and the mental health crisis all over the world, everyone is, 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 is concerned in this crisis. You know, it's, it's, it's a universal problem and everyone has an individual relationship to it, but it's a universal problem. It's the same thing. We're decaying. We're absolute. The planet is decaying. Our minds are decaying. We are kind of in this folly and, and, and there is no um, way out, which is why people are experiencing this huge mental distress and this kind of like, what is going on here? There's so much confusion. There's so much conflict. The, the planet is inflamed. There's a war there's wars, you know, so everything is related. And I think where we're coming at the Chopra Foundation is that let's remember who you are. Who are you? Are you the universe? Are you the co-creator? Are you the creator of your reality? And we take you back to who you are on the journey from freedom from suffering, the path to joy. Because when you realize that you are humanity, in yourself, then you automatically start realizing that not only you're never alone, but you're also connected to each and every one on the planet and you matter. Because when you matter, you realize that if you're not there, then it affects someone else and it affects the other person and it affects the other person and it affects everyone. So the material consumption is a way to burn ourselves out of existence. You know, I'm, you know, I'm kind of like bringing this back, like Deepak says a wonderful thing. He says, and I love it because it makes everyone laugh every time he says it, which is obviously joyful, but it's the truth. We're more concerned with our selfies than our self-worth. You know, it's like we're obsessed with our selfies. <laughs> what is this culture of objectifying? You know, cons- we're consuming each other rather than being with each other. Yeah, for sure. I heard something the other day that was so interesting around um, giving control to the external to control the internal is the highest form of slavery. And I was like, (laughs) whoa, right Right on. I I was like, that's really powerful. And and that's kind of what I'm hearing there is it starts with self. It starts with a little bit of self exploration, the integration of various forms of meditation and then the shift in perspective to realize that you know your role in the world has a domino effect and a connection to to other humans along the way and then as a byproduct you've used a really amazing term that i love and i'm going to steal for right now and that's that we're a collective anything found by itself is typically connected to something else and I, I try to simplify it a little bit, but you speak so eloquently and so beautifully. And so I hope our audience can kind of piece that together that 
it's so artistic and and such an upgraded language delivery that I'm I'm so appreciative to listen to it over here. <laughs> oh, you're so sweet. But you know, you know what that is? You know, it's the other I'm also an actor, you know, Bryce. And and being an actor back in the day when film didn't exist. Obviously, I'm not that old by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking from like the root of what acting was. Actors were actually there to deliver messages for the social responsibility for the audience. Mm-hmm. So they were messengers, you know, and messengers need to use their voice. But that didn't mean they didn't know who they are. They were very anchored in their being. Mm-hmm. And when you're so anchored in your being and you know who you are, you're able to channel or quote unquote become other characters and you're you're able to, you know, take responsibility. Being on stage is a responsibility. You know, it is. It 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 just it it's fun, it's beautiful, but it is also a responsibility. And Ron's mm-hmm. responsibility doesn't mean it has to be you know, oh God, I'm saving the world. And, you know, I'm like, da, da, da. No, it means that you're just on a path of inspiration. You have vision and you're taking everyone with you because you don't want anyone to be alone. And that's also the role of how do you deliver a story to compel and to incite empathy so that people can be moved into their own being and they can take action in your life. So this is why I love, you know, I love sharing. I love being, um, and I love using words that incite imagery, you know? And you're amazing at it. When I first met you, you, you immediately showed true authenticity, true vulnerability, and your storytelling kind of depicting your past, your childhood into the navigation of traumas into how you've dealt with those traumas and used them to motivate, inspire, and upgrade your operating system along the way rather than allowing them to hinder you or serve as, as a leash or a, or a weight vest. It's, it's incredible. And that's, that's where I'd like to explore next. This episode is brought to you by Mush. My friends over at Mush created an incredibly cool product of ready-to-eat overnight oats. And for those of you that listen to the podcast often, you know, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. And Mush has done just that, as their products have no more than seven clean ingredients that are dairy-free, gluten-free, with no added sugar. Mush started right here at Invictus, as they had a vision to create convenient, healthy, and clean nutrition. And this landed them on Shark Tank, where the famous Mark Cuban invested in them. Now they're found in retailers all over the country, including Costco, Sprouts, Target, and Whole Foods. Check out my friends over at www.eatmush.com. Trident Coffee is sponsoring this episode of the Invictus Mindset Podcast. My guys over at Trident taught me something really important this last year, that we are all a bundle of stories, both good and bad, and everything in between. At Trident, They're storytellers. All of their cold brews remind their customers that that they are part of something bigger than themselves. They help create connections through symbology and storytelling that engage their customers on an emotional level, and this distinguishes them from other coffee brands. You can find Trident in Imperial Beach, 
and in Coronado. They offer over 14 plus nitro cold brews along with dairy-free options. You can find the perfect brew and pair it with one of their treats from their keto bakery. All these options will allow you to support your health and fitness journey with Trident Coffee. They're more than just a coffee company. You can check them out over at tridentcoffee.com and use code INVICTUS20 for 20% off online and in tap rooms. Once again, that's tridentcoffee.com. Use code INVICTUS20 for 20% off online and in tap rooms. Take your coffee experience to the next level. Two important factors for us over at Invictus Mindset are true care and attention to detail. My friends over at RX Mark here have been bringing innovative fitness tools to the market since 2009. From their award-winning Evo speed ropes to their amazing gymnastics grips to their line of inflatable fitness equipment, they're constantly looking to problem solve within the fitness industry. They're always allowing us to have our gear work for us rather than against us. Hop on over to RX Mark Gear and use discount code Invictus Mindset to shop their latest cutting edge gear. Have your gear work with you and not against you. What was your, what was your childhood like in the UK? Because you, it sounds like you had this magical childhood with with your sisters and you know your your parents being involved as well and some of the seeds that were planted early on that the world is is very thankful to see them sprout now yeah I mean look I even have tears in my eye when you ask me that question because I have to admit um I am so lucky that I'm I can say that I had a beautiful childhood I just it was just magical my 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 father is obviously still alive being an an artist um and um you big scale paintings sculptures you know we're living in and out of this studio the gallery like video art there was always four or five cameras on in the studio and i had no idea that these were on so we were constantly Part we were immersed in his art, and it was just magical because we were allowed to do what we wanted. You know, we never had no. Not because, of course, we were, you know, naughty, three sisters running around. You know, we always, you know, I was always the eldest going, Mommy, Paulette's doing something wrong. You know, so it was always like, always <laughs> I was trying to like shepherd the three daughters, imagine, you know, and we each, we're perfect symmetry, three and a half years difference between each other. So my my youngest and and my other sister, um, three and a half years. So it's like perfect, the trio. And every night my father would um, share incredible stories um, that he would invent. And, and the stories involved the three of us, the three girls, and we would uh, basically um, be merged with these three marbles. And we would jump through a mirror and, you know, go and save different people in London and escape dragons flying over. I mean, it was Harry Potter beyond before Harry Potter. You know, <laughs> it, it was literally that was how our father brought us up. And we were never allowed to watch TV, which was actually a good thing because I don't think I love what I do now. But I don't think TV is something is that is good for, I would say, um, imagination. 
You know, mm. you have to foster imagination with with a blank canvas. And and I was lucky because my father was giving me these lovely ingredients. And of course, my mother, um, when we were uh, younger, she was still at university. So I, we spent way more time with my father um, and and we had the best time. And she's a marine biologist. So obviously she would make us watch. The only thing we're allowed to watch was Sir David Attenborough, um, you know, the blue planet, uh, planet Earth. Uh, so I love his voice because, you know, <laughs> he's just like, he's the voice of reason in my, in my life. And by the way, a role model, believe it or not, to, still to this day, 40 years later. Um, so point being is that I was just very lucky. Everything was magical. I learned all of the wind instruments before the age of 12. I was, you know, constantly engaged in art as a language. And my little sister was singing everywhere. Uh, Pascal was drawing and like picking up guitars. And we were all kind of in this collective and it was supported by our parents. So I, I am just lucky because I know that I hear many stories because I work because of the work that we do that a lot of children have not had that kind of childhood, but I had it and I'm so grateful. And that's why I think that's given me an anchor that I haven't lost sight of despite my life, I would say tribulations that, and the events that almost changed. I mean, they did change my life, but I never lost my anchor. I love the concept of, of fostering imagination with a blank canvas because, yeah. you know, nutrition is, is more than what we eat. It's what we see, what we hear. And, mm. you know, I think I've, I've heard you say before that there were some common themes that your parents shared with you, one of which that I think your father said to you was don't be the common denominator yes. to really encourage, you know, uniqueness and authenticity. Uh, will you touch yeah. on that a little bit? Yes. I, by the way, I still use it. I still use that quote a lot. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, well, why are we trying to be a common denominator? <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to be a common denominator. <laughs> I'm sure I when you were mind. young too, he said it so often that you're like, oh, I'm tired of hearing this. And then as you get older, it's like you hold on to those little sayings so much because they have so much value. I know. Well, basically what it means is that let's always, let, let's always become the exception to the rule, meaning don't believe something until you try it. Go for it. Don't think you're limited before you go and do it. You're not an equation. You're the, you're an, you're infinity, you know? And by the way, they never found a thing for infinity. They just did a loop, right? Yeah. And I'm like, okay, great. Let's so just you turn see, eight on its side. Let's let eight yeah, yeah. rest a little bit. <laughs> exactly. Let's just put that, you know, yeah, exactly. Let's just put that aside. So let's strive for the infinity in us, which doesn't have an equation. If everything is measured this, that science can be wonderful. My mom's a scientist. We have tons of scientists on our mom's family. It's wonderful. But remember, the leaky margins are the things that creates unique uniqueness. And those leaky margins can create, you know, Nobel Peace Prize winners, uh, incredible innovators in science and technology, and then leaders like Mahatma Gandhi. Like, that's what it is. Don't be a common denominator. Don't be a sheep. Just mm -hmm. don't. I mean, why would you want to do that? I mean, I love sheep. I think they're really cute. 
But generally, because of the world that we live in, they're industrialized. They don't have the right grass. And you're like fed off to a machine. Do you want to be that? Do you want your person, your mind, your body and your, to just be considered a number? I personally, no. You know. So, so my father drilled that into me and obviously I took it to a whole other level. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm running with this. <laughs> I love it though, because it combines the ideation to question. And I think sometimes within the world of science, it's like, well, don't question science, but science in reality is it's a point in time. It's what we know up until that point. And unless you continue to question and challenge and push the boundaries, there is no movement. It just, there's stagnation. And in my humble opinion, that's a form of hell, is just staying in the same place without growth Agreed. and evolution. I agree. I agree so much. And you know what? I often say to my girlfriends, uh, and I tell them, you know, when they're like going on or going on about some guy that this or, you know, some story, right? There's always a story that is cyclical. And I'm like, I get it. You feel. I get what you feel. I understand. But you know what? You're stuck in a moment. And, you know, you're making that moment eternity and it's hell for everyone around you. So please understand that there is a way out. But you, you are, you can change that. Because you created your own equation. I love that. It, it gives me the analogy of like a fishbowl. So many people are going round and round the fishbowl and you're like, no, let's actually poke a hole in that fishbowl and let's escape to a larger pool of water where there's more perspective, more ideas, more adventure and uh, more yes. trouble. <laughs> <laughs> With that being said, you know, where, where did your journey go next after you, this unique childhood with your two other sisters and, you know, navigating not being the common denominator. Where, where did you go next in your journey? Because you had quite a bit of travel. Yes. So my father, being who he is, decided uh, because of international politics um, and the foreign policy that, the, um, that England had at that time, um, he wasn't in agreement with. And he said, well, why don't we go to France? Because obviously France, for those who live in Europe and, and who, know, who know the older generation of my father, it's always their dream to have a house in France. It's like, you know, it's, it's that kind of like poetic mirage and landscape. Oh, I'm in my house in France, you know. Mm -hmm. So my father had that dream and he said, you know what, let's all live there. Let it not just be a summer place. And um, he found this... Um, beautiful domain in the north um, eastern region of France in the Champagne region and and he basically bought it without really much consulting my mother and uh, next thing we know we're moving to France and all of the big sculptures are getting like transported across the channel and wow. you know it's like wow this is because my father has this giant egg like literally all made of fiberglass and that would, wow. and now that's sitting in the domain, and it's huge. And 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 so my father, that's he likes space. So this space was was spacious, <laughs> literally, um, a barn and a coach house and studio space. And so he was very happy. And therefore, we moved to France. So obviously, I do have French heritage as well through my mother. But we weren't actively, it wasn't activated, let's put it that way. You know, French culture, I think you can only really um, 
embed yourself in a culture if you've lived there. And so next thing I know, my French is activated because I'm living there and I'm going to French school and, you know, it's and it's all of that that kicks in. And and my little sister was actually my little, little sister um, was actually born in the south of France um, whilst we were moving because every summer we would go to the south of France. Um, even if we didn't have a house there because of our family lineage, my mother's. So uh, all of a sudden the French culture became very, very important um, to us. And um, that was also a lovely period of my life. And, And I went to boarding school in Reims and then I graduated and then I started going to Paris. And, and Paris was the beginning of where I would say my life's journey started to change. It was at that moment where I started to realize that the world is not what I thought it was um, because the world of being brought up by incredible parents, loving, caring and creative, um, it was a bubble, you know, it was a bubble. It, it was a bubble and, and that bubble felt safe. And although I carried that bubble with me, I also carried with me the interpretation of the world where you know, everyone has goodness in them, which is still a wonderful thing that I have. But I took it to an extreme where I trusted more than I doubted people. I never questioned people's intention. Because mm-hmm. also, you know, you're very young. You know, you're, you're very young. And, and, and what that did to me was that I started acting. And when I was going to acting school in Paris, in the North region of Paris. Um, I met people, different people. Um, And one day coming back from school, and I still call it school because it is acting school, but I wasn't that young anymore, I was 18. Um, I was intercepted and a stranger asked me to take me back home, who I knew, I had met a couple of occasions. I didn't know where he lived. I didn't really know who he was, but he was just, you know, and I was like, okay. And I never questioned like, how did he know where I lived? Do you know what I mean? I just didn't put the two together because I was just very innocent, very innocent. And I Mm -hmm. think at some point we all carry that innocence, you know, in, in our lives. And what happened was, is that when I got in the car, um, at that point, the doors locked and I realized that I was never going home. And and that moment was uh, the first time I'd ever received any physical, you know, I, I got a punch on to my jawline and that was the first time I was like, oh, okay, something's happening here. And, and, and I don't know what it is, but, but I have to be extra alert. And, and it was very interesting because the alert phase of this moment um, triggered an inner voice. I didn't know I had an inner voice. You know, you know what? You've probably heard that before, right? Mm-hmm. You're in moments, you hear a voice, this, that, you know. You, and I had these images of my life. I actually had an image of my dad, like at my funeral. I was like, Oh God. Cause obviously you probably noticed through the conversation. I love my father so much. So I was like, Oh my God, is this that bad? You know, I was like, and nothing had happened yet to me other than a physical, you know, punch. Um, 
Uh, but but my mind and my whole body was filled with these with an instinct that I had never felt before. And the instinct was definitely fear and it was definitely flight. How do I get out of this? Because I know part of me is going to die. I don't know to what extent yet, but part of me is going to die. And And a voice occurred and the voice said, do exactly like him. And I'm like, what is this? What does this mean? And as I turned my face, looking to the driver's seat, I could see his profile and I could see twitching. Like, like he was just physically twitching, just twitching. And I was like, wow, what is that? I mean, you know, I remember I wasn't really brought up watching films. My mm-hmm. father didn't, you know, he, we weren't. I mean, although I was studying acting by then, I was still reading the classics, Shakespeare. I was more of a stage, I was not a film consumer per se. And we definitely, you know, any news about murders or this is that, for me, it was like, that's on the news. You know, that's not something that can happen to me. You know, that's what we think when we're young. We think we're invincible. We don't look at the dangers because we don't think they exist until it becomes personal. Right. And this was the personalization of this experience of the world in a moment. And 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 so what ensued after that was that I was taken and I was physically and sexually abused. I'm not going to go into the detail because it, it's it's the, the because it, it it doesn't it means something. But the details of this story won't go to the messaging that I'm trying to say here. But but let's say it happened multiple times. And because of that message that uh, I got, that voice, do exactly like him, I started to shiver and tremor like him. And what that did was that triggered, I don't know how, some form of empathy or, or mirroring with this individual, with this man. And he was like, you're sick. You need help. Okay, I need to get you to see a doctor. Like, and it was this kind of psychotic frenzy that started to, to, for him to see, I don't know how, but I broke through this ice. And that's when he took me back to Paris because he took me outside of Paris. And that's when I was able to escape. And I left Paris in an hour and I was taken to my parents' house. And at and that point I was taken to doctors overseas and, you know, the rest is history. But that was a moment that... <clears throat> I changed my life because it was the breaking of innocence. It was a moment where I was like, wow, this is real. I mean, wow, there are people who do not have the best intention out there. And what does that mean? And what does that mean? So that's, you know, and I attach the, you know, I was talking about my childhood and why I traveled, but I attach that to that event to France, because after that, I traveled nonstop. I was on a mission to heal. And, and, it, and it meant by not being in the same geolocation, because being in the same geolocation for me was a distinction I needed to create to understand that pain is not just a physical and geolocalized experience. Pain actually carries you through wherever you are at, and you mm-hmm. cannot escape. It. But that was for me to understand. 
Wow, Gabriella, you, you have so much courage to, to share that story. And the, the detail orientation, the imagery that you, that you create in your unique ways of, of describing that traumatic event, they're, they're very eyebrow-raising. I, I couldn't help but just you know, take it in and, and obso- observe and you know, place myself as, as a bird observing the, the situation. I can't help but wonder, what was the process for you not allowing yourself to be stuck in that moment? And how did you, you know, obviously you started traveling. Yes. How did you learn to develop the courage to speak about it? What was the, the beginning of the healing journey for you? Was there some sort of psychological disruption that you're like, I'm going to make a conscious decision to share, explore, heal in, in unique ways so that this particular experience doesn't happen to others? So, um, yes. So, so this is what happened after, and I think this will allow um, me to answer your question. Um, but I will say one thing. Sharing for me was not an option in the beginning. See, sharing uh, was not possible. And, and I still believe today, till today, that unless you've transcended the story of a traumatic event, it is very hard to share because sometimes oversharing a story or an event can cause more harm to your psyche mm-hmm. or to the people around you. So it's with great responsibility that one has to use the tool of sharing, you know, and, and sharing has to come with um, loving, tender care, literally like loving, tender care. So, and, and why am I saying loving, tender care? Because loving, tender care allowed me to heal. And that was through ultimate strangers that I met on this journey. So when I went to England to meet my family, um, doctors, etc., I, um, my uncle, I was crying, of course, every night. Of course, you know, I, and I want people to, to, to hear this because this is these are P, this is PTSD, but I didn't know I had it. Right, I couldn't sleep, um, disrupted sleep. I I wanted to always close the windows and close the shutters. In France, there's shutters, so it's you know it's like a, a curtain outside. So I would always need to feel that. I slept between my parents. I mean that is weird. Meaning I meaning I slept physically in between my mother and my father. I mean, even speaking about it is very like, like how, how, anyway, they accepted it. The only thing that was a problem for me was that I wasn't ready to share with them. They knew that, you know, drama, this, that, and there was other things that I had to deal with, police, etc. but it was too much too soon. And so I realized that if I looked at their faces every single time, I would see my pain on their face. Mm. And I didn't want that. I didn't want to see my pain on their faces. I didn't want to see it on my little sisters. I didn't want to see it on my parents. I didn't want to see it on my uncle. I just didn't want to see my pain because that's the last thing I want to see on other people's faces. 
So, so for me, I realized that I had to make a choice. And that choice was I needed to be far away from the people I loved for that moment, just because they didn't have the tools either to support my healing. They had love, but what I needed was different than what they thought. And I didn't, and the truth is, like you say, I didn't know what I needed, but what I did know is that I needed to heal. I made a choice because when I saw my uncle, who's a doctor, and he said, you know, I think you're going to have to be put on antidepressants, Prozac possibly, so you can at least stop crying because I was crying all the time. And, and I looked at him and it was a daunting moment. And I said, no. And, and I said, no, I don't think I, no, I don't think I need that. And, and it's not, I'm not, by the way, I'm not dismissing therapy, you know, SSR. I am not dismissing that. But in my moment, at that time, I said no. And that's when I started to write. I wrote and I wrote and I wrote and I wrote and I journaled. Now we call it journaling. Back in the day, 22 years ago, you know, journaling wasn't a thing. I was just writing because I needed to express myself with a non-judgmental page. This page was not judging me. I was just writing on a blank page. And by the way, I never knew, used lined pages because for me, that's, that's a confinement. So mm. I'd be sketching, I'd be like, you know, drawing. And also another thing that I never did, I never spoke about the people's by their names. I never used their names. I said, this person, you know, who had these qualities helped me. This, that, uh, I never used their name because I thought that if someone found my book, my journal, I didn't want to violate anyone's privacy. It's strange, isn't it? That's These such are, forward thinking around like HIPAA violations and wanting to preserve the integrity of the individual. But even to take it a step further in relation to the word joy, it sounds like your interaction with other people is less about their title and their label and more about the frequency at which you feel when you connect, when you converse, and when you're going through a moment with that person alongside you. And I think there's value in that. It's, it's a feeling. Hmm. It, it, it is. And, I, and, and what happened was after that, I got to experience incredible people just incredible people like Bryce that the the level of people that I interacted with after because what happened was and thank God my family you know family are amazing if we have family we have to cherish our family because we never know when the superhero <laughs> kicks in <laughs> you know the superhero qualities of our family members even if I couldn't be with mm -hmm. my immediate family what happened was is that my grandfather had a house in New Zealand and when I looked at the map, meaning I want to go on the other side of the planet, literally, it was New Zealand. And my mother was like, well, you know, grandfather has a house there, grandpère. Let's, you know, let's see if he can take you in. And, and they took me in. They weren't always at the house, which was great because I needed my privacy. But it was a big house and I did have my privacy. And, and when I landed there, um, I literally landed there hoping <laughs> I was my hope. I was like, oh, I'm going to feel so much better when I get off this plane. And yet I get off the plane and I feel like shit. 
I'm like, shit. Okay, tick. Geolocalization of pain is not relevant to this search. Quick learning (laughs) lesson right off the bat. Okay, I was like, okay, well, can't escape this time. I mean, I mean, the guy's not here, but (laughs) but I'm stuck with this shit, and I don't. I want to know where this is because this mind trash is excuse my language, fucking polluting me. Mm -hmm. And I want to be the little girl who I was before, which was very, and I, and I remember, you know what I was crying about so much? I was crying. I was like, please, please. I don't want to lose my innocence. I just want to be that girl who was dancing under the rain, walking barefoot there, trusting individuals and, you know, laughing with them and incite, you know, I just wanted to be that person again. I didn't blame who I was. I didn't blame that. I was lucky because I, you know, a lot of women today who are raped have this thing where they blame themselves. That's not true. Get that out of your mind. It is absolutely not true. There's nothing that you did that, you know, enticed rape, that it, there is just urges, situations that occur, circumstance, of course, I'm not asking you to put yourself in danger. You know, one has to have a little bit of common sense. But other than that, it is from a psychological perspective, it is never your fault, you know. And and I was lucky, I realize that it was not my fault because I was still yearning for that person who I was at that moment before it happened. So I still like that. That person, despite all of her flaws, and her believing in like beautiful strangers was still a better person than the person crying every day and who couldn't sleep and who was like trapped in a moment and that cage of the mind. And so I said, no way, I'm getting out of this. And because when you say no way, I'm getting out of this, even as an intention in your mind, um, the universe responds beautifully and, um, a local gazette, you know, a local newspaper came through the door and it said, free your mind. I was like, oh my God, I need to free this mind. Body, I was like, I get it. I don't have any physical injury anymore, but I I understand what this is. This is a body. Um, and spirit, I said, I have absolutely no clue what the spirit thing is, but I'm going to call this number. And I call a number and it was a Chinese woman with a Chinese accent on the other line. And she, she said, no, you can come. It's, you know, a, a, can come to the Central Park. You can come. And I said, I'm a student. I have no money. She said, no, no, it's free. You can come. So I, I went. And, and, and it was kind of the first time I was really leaving the house by myself. So, of course, you can imagine. And I didn't have a mobile phone. I didn't want one. So it was very... Um, back in the day, there were those heavy Nokia blocks, you know? Like... <laughs> I'm older than you. <laughs> no, I, I, I had one of those things, the Nokia yeah. brick thing. Yeah, the brick <laughs> thing that, like, you can, you know, throw out the window and break one. Yep. Um, so, so anyway, I didn't want a brick, and uh, I, I walked to the, um, the, the, the Central Park area, um, and it was an open air shopping mall, and and under this, in this open air shopping mall, there's a patch of grass. And this man and a tree and under this tree is a man wearing these white, almost like what I'm wearing now, like a white kind of kimono uh, with white pants. 
um, smiling and just being him. And then this Chinese woman with this cassette player with this very strange music coming out of it. And I was like, okay, this is a joke. Like, what is this? There's like some hidden cameras here. This is like really phony. <laughs> okay. This is beyond phony. Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, anyway, I still went up to her. I was like, I called. She's like, yeah, you called. Yeah, just please. This is the teacher. And I was like, teacher, I'm like, what is this? And anyway, he didn't speak English. I still do not speak Chinese. And I, for some reason, I just like, just give it a chance. Just give it a little bit of you. And and because we were in a public place, I felt safe because, you know, it's there's a mall. So there's people running around. It's not like we're silent on top of a mountain, you know, it's not that beautiful. Okay. It's a shopping mall with shops and a lot of dis- dissonant sounds, you know, it, it wasn't that, you know, amazing. So anyway, I sat down and he did an amazing thing. He looked at me and he put his hand on the patch of grass next to him. And he just went like this. And I could understand it meant sit. And so I started to sit. And because we didn't really understand each other, he just took my hands and started to show, put this one on this. And then he, like, close your eyes. And what I didn't know was that I was meditating. But he never said that. And I had never had that education. Now you see meditation like it's like spiritual chewing gum everywhere, right? But at that time, 22 years ago, what was that, you know? And who is this Asian person, quote unquote, you know, looking like as if he's in an action movie, um, you know, from Hong Kong, teaching me this stuff? You know, there's a lot of bias because we don't know what things are. And, and so here I am closing my eyes and trusting, trusting a stranger again. And I was like, wow. And I was like this. I was opening my eyes and I was, you know. But it, but it was a beautiful moment that when I sank into it, that moment became timeless. And next thing I know, two hours had gone by and it stopped. And I was like, oh. And so I went back every day for three months with this, this, this man who I still... I probably knew his name at the time, but as I told you, I purposely did not hold on to the names for my healing. Mm -hmm. So I don't remember his name and I never wrote it anywhere. Um, But he was an exceptional teacher who only taught by his presence of being. He never once heard my story. It didn't even matter to him. I bet he could feel it though. Yeah, exactly. But what he did was such a selfless act of presence of being. And, you know, New Zealand's not a sunny place, you know, windy, um, rainy. So I would even go in the rain. I would go in the wind. I would go. I would just go because after a few sessions, I was sleeping better at night. I had gap between my thoughts. And all of a sudden, I started to remember who I was. And it was... I was starting to smile. I was starting to laugh. And that was the beginning, Bryce, of this person of who I am before. And I started writing something called, I look back 
with a wiser innocence because that's who I am now. I'm not, a, you know, I, I'm still a child <laughs> because we're all children, you know, of this beautiful universe and planet, but I'm able to layer wisdom within my innocence. And this was thanks to that beginning of that journey. And, at, you know, the rest is history. I've been teaching meditation now. I've taught in prisons. I've taught women's women who have been victim of sexual violence um, in many different countries. Um, I continue to do advocacy for women um, and young girls and also young men. You know, there's there's a lot of things that we must do in that that perspective. And and so for me, my spiritual journey, my second life started um, with this event that then uh, created a deeper understanding of of why we do what we do, why hurt people hurt people, you know, uh, you know, the power of forgiveness. I had to forgive this guy in from a spiritual mind perspective because I realized that I had so much anger. The anger was daunting my mind. I was absolutely overwhelmed by a tsunami of anger. And I was writing, I'm like, you know what? I'm gone. I'm, this is done. I do not need this person in my existence. Even in my mind, it's a waste of space. And that doesn't mean I'm denying it. That means just the, I'm releasing that hold on me and mm -hmm. I've made a choice. So, you know, there's choices that need to happen for you to lead a life of freedom from suffering. And choices need to be made by distinctions. They help, right? You know, and obviously I was very lucky because I had a childhood that was very anchored in my being. That was related to joy, wonder, curiosity, compassion, you know, science and art and, and expression. I was very lucky because I had that as a, as a, as a basis. But I could have gone the other way. I realized that that's when I realized after this traumatic event that I could have easily gone on drugs, easily become an addict, easily, you know, went through my 20s like this as a model floating through Paris and like whatever, don't giving a, you know, F about anything. Because that could have been another life, because that could have been another choice. You see, so I was very aware at the crossroad of existence and the crossroad of choices that you have. And even if the voice is faint, you do have a choice. You do have a little choice, even in the midst of pain. And you just have to allow that voice to have to, to you have to turn the volume up on the voice. Mm -hmm. There's so many gentle nuggets that you share in your such passionate storytelling. And I'm just, <laughs> I'm, I'm just in awe over here. I can't help but, but lean in though when I connected with your colleague, Punacha Messiah, yes. he, he said something to me that I, I like to remind people of occasionally, and that is, we're human beings, we're not human doings. And I think through this process, you know, it's easy to deflect, it's easy to distract, to lean on external substances or actions just to do, do, do and bury certain traumatic events. I'd like to take a moment to thank our friends over at Viore. They are bringing a new perspective on performance apparel. Their products are incredibly versatile and allow for freedom and flexibility in any arena. 
As humans, we are complex creatures, always on the move and always on the go. Allow Vuri to join you as you navigate the complexities of the human experience. Whether you are training, adventuring, lounging, traveling, or attending meetings, Vuri has options to suit your active lifestyle. My personal favorites are the men's core short and their line of Ponto performance products, which are so incredibly soft. Check these guys out over at viori.com slash Invictus Mindset for 20% off your very first purchase and free shipping. That's V-U-O-R-I.com slash Invictus Mindset for 20% off your very first purchase and free shipping. Everything they have is designed to work out in, but doesn't look or feel like it. It's so freaking comfortable that you won't want to wear anything else. Breathing, movement, circulation, digestion. What do all these body functions have in common? Our muscles. There are over 600 muscles in the human body that are responsible for supporting our daily activities. That's why your muscle health is incredibly important. On this podcast, I always discuss seeking our peak expression and striving to maximize our human potential. And so I try to share with you the top products that I find on the market. My HMB is a clinically proven ingredient that has been shown to help build and maintain lean muscle mass, increase strength, improve recovery, and enhance body composition. Learn more about your muscle health at myhmb.com slash Invictus. Once again, that's myhmb.com slash Invictus. Enhance your muscle health and enhance your life. But there's unique power in stillness. And sometimes I like the analogy, if you're fighting with your thoughts It's almost like jumping into a pool where there's bubbles and chaos and splashing everywhere. But sometimes in the midst of just calm stillness, all of a sudden those bubbles and everything dissipates and you gain clarity. And I feel like that's what you got a little bit on that patch of grass where it wasn't an avalanche of, Gabriella, you need to do this. You need to do that. It was just be here now. Allow yourself to sit in your own journey so far, take what you need and then let go of the rest. And that doesn't mean you deny it. You acknowledge the existence of some of these challenges that you faced, but you also have the choice to not hold on to them, to not put them in your pocket, to not allow them to serve as a cape or a backpack, just to know that they played a role at one time and now, and now they get to float into the abyss And you get to move on as a lighter, freer form of yourself. And I think that word free is is very powerful for you because you had that freedom as a child to wonder and be curious and, and play with your imagination. And that's enabled you now to develop tools in your toolbox to motivate, inspire, and create resources with other human beings and operate at a very very magical frequency, which, which I can feel through the screen today, which I felt the first time I met you. And you can feel throughout your wondrous humanitarian journey that you're so amazing at sharing and creating a safe space for others to 
connect and collaborate and relate. It's not like you position yourself like I'm out of reach. I'm way up here. You're way down here. It's like, no, I'm actually co-piloting next to you. And we're going to navigate this messy thing called life together. And that's that's my humble attempt at kind of summarizing some of the things that we were thankful to listen to here just a minute ago. It's a good summary. Thank you for those reflections. Mm. It's very, very cool. So as you navigated this, how did you transition to, you know, the, these humanitarian approaches and being such an explorer of the world to think, okay, I want to carve my own path in the mountain of life and lean into this entrepreneurial space and connect with people from all walks of life to develop tools for them to use for enhancing their mental health and, and never feeling alone? So I think what's really important um, to underline is that when you're going through uh, an inner crisis and a changing moment in your life, I remember when, you know, this, this first event happened, the one I previously shared, is that I remember, hold on, if this is happening to me, and I'm in a Western country, quote unquote, with systems, quote unquote, they're supposed to be supporting women and helping them. Then what is it like for women who I know don't have a voice? Women in India, Nepal, Burma, I'm not saying all women don't have a voice there, but some poorest regions, some do not have a voice. And I remember thinking that immediately because I had that social awareness thanks to my education, because my grandfather also worked for UNESCO for the development of education and science in Africa. So we had that, so I had that knowledge. So when that happened to me, my my almost other immediate question was like, but what about these other women? Like, what, how, how do they navigate this? Because it's so painful. How do they do it without having a safe space? And so that question led, I would say, the answer in development that unraveled in my life. Meaning everything that I was doing from that point onwards was to serve other women or other girls or other, you know, people. And so what happened was, is I just, I didn't know I was becoming a humanitarian. What happened was, is that I was just being open to possibilities of helping places that I was visiting. So it wasn't like I had a mission, oh, I'm going there, I'm going to do this. I'm like, oh, I'm here. What can I do? What can I do? And and I think that was, for me, it was a very, um, uh, it, it was a, I co, this, this was co-created with the world. You know, my, my life is co-created with the people I've, I've been with, I've learned from. I learn more than people, than people think I do. Meaning I, you know, I, I just, I don't have all the answers. I don't, but what I do is that I do listen. I have a, I, I have a listening and sometimes, you know, we're not perfect. We're not perfect. The teacher is not perfect, but, but, but we share space and we share those imperfections together and we share those stories 
that, you know, can be transcended in a safe place. We can share space and meditation. And I realized that meditation was the root for me, for everything that I did. Not only do I have a personal practice that's very um, acute, and I went on my whole 20s, I went on very long spiritual retreats. I went to find Tibetan masters who are still my teachers today. Um, I, you know, I, I traveled to India in ashram, South India. I, I'm going to an ashram for my own mental, you know, hygiene um, in December. You know, I, I have, I, this is very, very active in my life. So wherever I am, I either teach, I hang out with uh, community leaders, I help them finish a project or restart a project together. But it's always grassroots. It's never blah, 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 and then we're not even doing it. It's like, it's more like, oh, we're together. What can we do? You know, it's, it's different. You know, I, you don't come in with an idea and then you start changing people's lives because that idea is always wrong because an idea comes from the mind, whereas the presence of being comes from the heart. You know, so it's like you have to be with people. And that's why politics are failing today. They have ideas. They're not being with people. That's just failing. It's a failing system. It's not based on the human expression of presence. I also think you come in asking really good questions because you listen, you pay attention, and you observe. And then as a byproduct, the question becomes, how can I help and how can I serve? What problems can we solve together versus what can I get? And I think sometimes there's a unique dichotomy there where you know, people are seeking to, to gain rather than to make a difference. And there yes. is also key phrasing there of, hey, how can we do this together? Because then credit is shared and there's no cognitive bias. It's now a collaboration and a collective, which allows for so many unique uh, integrations and di different thought processes and perspectives to kind of combine into this beautiful smoothie rather than yes. just it being one ingredient, you know? No, but it, it's true. And, you know, life is, life is a journey. That is something, that's why I say that I'm a human explorer. Not because, you know, it's a fashionable term. No, because I'm exploring, you know, being human. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, like, it's very clear. <laughs> it's like we don't know who we are until probably the last moments of our life. So let's just explore who we are now, you know? I love that. As we wrap things up, Gabriella, I can't help but wonder, where did the Never Alone global movement kind of come to be? That is something you've been incredibly passionate about. I've seen you and yeah. Deepak putting out different media campaigns to help motivate, inspire, and provide resources for people along the way. How did, the, how did this collective kind of come together? So this is another personal story. And, you know, I, now I'm starting to say, I've realized that I'm starting to say the two events that changed my life. And, and you heard the, the first event, which was, you know, led me to who I am today. And the second event was I spoke so dearly about my little sister. Um, and we're three sisters. But now in this physical plane, we're only two. And we lost our little sister to suicide four years ago. And... You know, at that point, when this happened, first of all, we couldn't believe it. We just couldn't. You know, there's, there's not, none of us realized that that would be the end. 
you know, she had experienced um, mental distress um, prior, but but we had all been there to rally and support her, and she had come through. And so we thought that was something from the past. And this literally happened in a 48-hour, I would say, decay, descent into um, a place where we were unable to to be with her. And, and, and having taken her own life, we were all not in the same country. We were not there. Um, but when this happened, we were... Um, it felt like a collective suicide. It felt like the whole family had gone. And, and it's hard because, you know, I think there's a distinction to make because me coming from my background now of like meditating and doing humanitarian work, I was like, what did I not see here? What was I unable to, 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 to bridge? Like I thought, you know, and then all of a sudden I, I realized that mental health was a distinction that I actually had not um, considered because for me, spiritual health was mental health. Mm. I didn't, you know, I didn't make it separate. But, but then I realized that the separation at times is needed. And I didn't know that. And then from my mother's perspective, losing her favorite daughter, my father losing like the youngest, like my sister being close to her in age because of this three and a half year difference. She felt guilty, you know, and it all, everyone had a story related to my sister's passing. And the story was so tremendous. It felt like, you know, the, the, the Titanic was sinking and nobody was going to survive. And at that point, I made a choice again. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to take time off work as an actor. I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to be with my family, even if sometimes I just wanted to run away because it's horrible to watch people disintegrate. It's really, really hard to do. Um, not that I wasn't disintegrating, but because of my toolbox, like you just said, I was able to navigate with um, grief and I was able to be very action oriented because of the tools that I had. So the speeches at the funeral, the cremation, the this, like I took everything into action because my parents could not do it, nor could my sister, nor could my other family. We were all there to support, but there was certain things that... Um, needed very practical things, thinking, and nobody could be practical in that moment. And by the way, I'm the, I'm the far from practical, but in this moment I needed to be. Um, and I was able to be because of my distinction uh, through meditation and through practice and through the journey that I was on already. Um, and that, you know, led me to thinking that, you know, I started to do all this research and realizing that every 40 seconds someone dies by suicide, that it's not just, you know, a personal thing, but actually mental health experts, there are not enough of. There's a lack of resources. There's a lack of access to resources. Oh, my God, it's a huge taboo. I mean, we had the press who were there on site at my sister's passing before the family arrived. I mean, how sick and disgusting is that? 
it's like, what are you guys like scavengers? Like, you're like, who are you? You know, and, and it's, and I'm not saying this from an anger perspective. I'm just saying like, look at what we do. Humans just thrive off sensational storytelling that is sold for two cents on newspapers, you know, or in crappy blogs or, you know, like, oh, la la, so-and-so took their life. Da, da, da. You know, what is that? Where is the empathy in that storytelling? Zero. Zero empathy. And yet, you know, you amplify this kind of darkness around mental health without giving a platform and a solution. And I was like, you know what? No, that is not going to happen because I'm not going to allow this to happen. So, you know, me being me, and, and, and I was like, that's just not going to happen. I know there's going to be a way. We're going to create things. She was a musician, a singer-songwriter. Her art was absolutely exquisite, and I'm not just being biased because I'm her sister. Her lyrics were full of her inner turmoil. But we thought it was art. We didn't connect it to a real mental trauma. And that's our fault. And, and I'm, I'm not saying this for my family. I'm just saying for myself. Being an artist, we, we revel. We, we revel in this embellishment of art. Oh, wow. That film was so, whew, it moved me. But do we look at the price it takes for artists to go through that? And do we support them with a little bit more of empathy instead of criticizing every five minutes what people do? Do you know what I mean? So I was like, I'm, I was looking at my world very differently. And I realized that as mental health is a universal problem, we have a, it's an individualized personal concept. And because of our backgrounds, our religions, our how we're brought up, our education, where we live, do we have access? Do we not? I mean, in India, there's only something like 6,000 therapists for like a billion people. I mean, hello. Do you know what I mean? The ratio is like, way off. The ratios are like, uh, you know, uh, in, in the U.S., we only just started this 988 national, you know, federal campaign thanks to the pandemic because the pandemic woke everyone up. And the common, common denominator is that everyone's has mental health problems. Mm -hmm. Well, that's true, actually. So how can we reverse this, right? How can we reverse this equation? So um, we, I was working on a film. I decided to use the medium that I know best, which is storytelling. And I was working on a film um, with the director, Michel Pascal. And the film was following a woman um, who lost her son to suicide. And I was playing her. And... And his suggestion was, well, let's interview experts. And one of the psychiatrists he worked with um, also worked with Dr. Deepak Chopra. So we interviewed Dr. Deepak and he, um, at the end of the interview, I said, do you know that every 40 seconds someone dies by suicide? He's like, what is that? I was like, yes, these numbers are real. And this was prior pandemic, of course. And he said, oh, can we have a further conversation? I was like, absolutely. Absolutely, we need to have this conversation. And, um, and we did. And, and he introduced me to his team leaders, uh, Punacha as well. And, and we were able to aggregate an idea. And the idea was never alone. How can people never be alone? How can they experience their oneness? How can they experience the whole world in themselves? 
you know, so that they don't have to take their lives. But also, how can they feel connected to the right resources? How can they feel part of a community that will enhance that overall well-being so that, that they can be leaders in the world and, and ultimately heal? We never use the word heal. You know, it's very biased, that word, right? Mm -hmm. But ultimately, we need healers today. And so um, without going into spiritual healing, just the fact of healing, you know, we need to create a platform for healing. So Never Alone, the idea was born. And when the pandemic hit, uh, we realized that there was a lot to do. And, uh, and it accelerated our quote unquote roadmap, if you can call it as such. And we deployed technology. My little sister's name was, uh, was Paulette, but her nickname was Peewee. Um, uh, which is also an acronym um, for people interacting with intention. So we co-created an AI emotional chatbot called Peewee, where you're able to access her for free 24-7 and by text messaging, Facebook Messenger, open browser, and web browser. And, and you're able to uh, create relationship with this bot, but also uh, get resiliency tools, mental hygiene tools. If you're in a crisis, you're able to connect with a therapist. Um, and, and so we offered this during the pandemic and now we're, we're revamping Peewee so that it's overall well-being, um, less targeted at suicide intervention, but more into how can we create your overall mental well-being to support you, to lead the life that you live. And if you need access to a therapist, you can. Here it is. And so, and we're doing it from a consciousness perspective because we're working with Dr. Deepak Chopra. It allows us to have the wealth of his knowledge at our hands to support people at different levels of awareness, you know from a spiritual consciousness perspective, bringing that into mental health, bringing that into mental well-being, looking and valorizing the work of mental health experts. There's the cutting edge of psychedelics and mental health, the mm -hmm. cutting edge of psychiatry and nutrition, the cutting edge of anxiety and what is the, you know, like we work with these incredible experts who are leading scientists and in, in different realms and different universities across the U.S. And they are all part of the Never Alone Alliance. And our goal is to create this platform so everyone can find what they need so that they can have the distinction of, okay, I have my mental hygiene. I have this mental space that I can, I'm now empowered to take care of, you know. And by doing that, if I really, really need an expert and it's not going away, I can find this expert mm -hmm. and I can go this way. And for us, it's a way to not only democratize access to mental well-being, but it's a way to support them with technology. Technology is a big part of what we do, but also where people can find like-minded minds to support their journey on the path to joy from freedom from suffering. So, Man, that, so is, that is so beautiful. And I, I also can't help but note that it's decreasing the barrier to entry because our world is so full of judgment when it comes to mental health. And I think it gives people the opportunity to seek to understand, not just themselves, but others. And then Absolutely. through the process of talk therapy that you know doesn't need to be within the public eye, but can be in a very private residence, gives people yeah. the access to realize, 
Oh, wow. I, I do have people that can support me even though I'm in the muck of it right now. And then mm. from there, it can help change their trajectory and truly give them light at the end of the tunnel. So that way they realize that they do have hope and they do have people that can help them in the midst of extreme challenge or psychological warfare. And I, I just, I cannot help but just feel very connected to that. I, I love the concept of, of Peewee. I think that's yeah. really cool. I love how it has a very personal connection with you. Yes. People interacting with, with what? In intention. With intention. I love that. I absolutely love that. Gabriella, you are doing so, some magical things in the world. Um, as we wrap things up today, I really want to pick your brain on one thing that stood out to me on another conversation that I heard you discuss. And that is, uh, what are the four A's? Oh, I love the four A's. It's my favorite. Okay, the four A's is actually a tool that we use for Never Alone and at the foundation called Love in Action. So remember I mentioned earlier on in, 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 in our sharing is that um, you have to be in action by your presence, right? So how do we evoke? How do we bring presence into action? How do we bring love in action? And so we use the four A's that triggers that. So the first one is attention. Let me bring my attention to this person or event in my life that I need to take care of because it's dragging out, for example, or to myself because I need to be more loving to myself. So you bring attention. Then what happens after attention? You start to find ways of appreciating you through deep, deep observation and the other. It could be a physical trait. It could be, wow, my eyebrows look great today. <laughs> you know, like I'm just, you know, for yourself, right? Ah, oh, makes me feel good, you know? Or, you know, for someone else, wow, I never noticed the light that is coming on her face as we're having this conversation. Wow, I can see her tenderness. And she might have been someone who was very relentlessly angry, for example. Mm -hmm. But all of a sudden, you're going differently. and you're, Or if it's a situation in your life, you're like, you know what, how can I appreciate this if I, like, look back a little bit? Let me observe this situation from a different bird's eye perspective, right? So I'm giving you a couple of examples. Then what happens after appreciation, automatically affection comes out. Oh my God, I didn't even know I liked this person. Now I love her. I see where she's coming from. Oh, how can I show my affection? I might just want to hug her. Or I might just want to say, you know what? You look really good today. And that person, that little thing is going to change that person's right. moment. You know? Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Or you're going to smile and that person's going to be like, why are you smiling? I was like, I just, you know. It's a, vir it's, a, it's a virtual expression of love, right? So affection for yourself, it could be, you know what? I'm going to give myself a little like, I'm going to put my hand on my heart. I'm just going to, like, that is my way of, you know, feel, expressing my affection to myself. To, to a situation, it would be, um, let me learn, how, how, can I, how can I look at this? I've looked at it this differently. How can I... Um, you know, wrap this in, in tenderness. Because when we look at a situation, often we judge. Let me fill that judgment with affection so that it, it distills the separation, mm -hmm. right? So you bring that, that distilling of separation, which is, you know, let me actually love this in a different way, you know? 
Um, and you could also write it on a piece of paper and put the paper like next to flowers. I mean, you can be so creative with this. Do you understand? Mm -hmm. It's a creative freedom. And so we've gone through attention, appreciation, affection. Now we're going through it to the last one, which I love, which is acceptance. We have to accept what is. And sometimes people can't be the idea of what we think they are. Sometimes we just have to allow people to be and accept that they have certain limitations that are happening right now. But that doesn't mean they're like that for the rest of their life. But right now, let's accept who they are because they're, they're beautiful, they have an inner child, and we might disagree to agree, but I can see and I've accepted that person. You know, and I, when you look at a situation, climate change, okay, let me just accept this for now because my anxiety, nobody's going to help me with that. Nobody's going to help me with that. So let me just, yes, okay, I've accepted that. You know, when you accept things, you start breathing differently. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden your body is responding different to the, the, the state of, acceptance can also be seen as a state of surrendering, you know. And when you accept certain, you're like, you know what? I've accepted that I put on 10 kilos. It is what it is. I can't fit into my pants. It means I do have to go and like buy more pants. But you know what? It's a new phase of my life. I accept this. You know? And so do you know what I mean? It's a very, and we call it the four A's. Of course, Deepak and Punacha would resume this very succinctly. But I like giving examples because mm -hmm. I want you to be able to play with this. Yeah. You can apply this to absolutely anything. And go and have fun with it. And what we hope to create is Love in Action ambassadors who are able to almost teach these, these little communities so that you can share and exercise within one another around the four A's and meditate together, but share mental hygiene tools, create the mental space of the four A's so that you can learn how to change your life and, and be empowered to be leaders. Ultimately, we need more kind leaders. There you have it, guys. Miss <laughs> Gabriella Wright, layering wisdom on top of her inner child. I absolutely loved our conversation today. Thank me you so too. much for spending time with me and sharing so much deep vulnerability and little nuggets for people to apply to their life today. Of course. Well, I really enjoyed. Thank you for creating that safe space. It's very important for everyone. And... um I appreciate you. You look great. And I can't wait to see that Banksy hanging on the wall. <laughs> I know. I can't wait to hang it up either. I'm excited. It just arrived a few hours ago. And I mean, when you look at that, it, so much of our conversation relates to that, right? Like so maintain much. a childlike curiosity. Um, you know, we never really grow up. We just learn how to act in public sometimes. The concept of seeking to understand and, you know, peeling back the layers and peeking behind the curtain to really understand like, okay, this is what we're seeing to the human eye, but maybe there's more there. And unless yeah. we create that safe space and that uniqueness and that vulnerability, sometimes we're left in a world of unknown. And then, Absolutely. you know, on the other side of that is mental health challenge and things that we can't necessarily, you know, blame any, any any particular person but by asking better questions being more curious and really truly and authentically connecting with the world i think i think we can really create love in action which is very similar to what what you guys are trying to do over there at the chopra foundation 
So, Gabriella, you are a Disney-like energy and frequency to the world. (laughs) Thank you for providing us with your beautiful light today. Where can people find you? Um, You can find me on Instagram, although I'm always behind on on posting just because I do a lot. But but you can find me there, Lady G. Wright. You can also find neveralone.love on Instagram, our website, neveralone.love, the same thing. You can also follow the Chopra Foundation on Instagram and and the and the, and on the website. But we're we're very active and we do have community events. So just always make sure that you know we might be local someday in 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 your area. So. Just follow us and, and, and we'll respond in the best way possible. And spend some time with Peewee, magical yes. technology that can help all Peewee of us in our journey. Website. You can access her on our website and sign up and it's very easy. And there's no violation of privacy, which is important. Yeah, that's very important. Yeah. Gabriella, you're amazing. You're wonderful. Thank you. I really appreciate you and I look forward to crossing paths with you soon. Me too. (laughs) For those of you listening or observing on YouTube, if you enjoyed my conversation with Gabriella Wright, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with your friends. And as always, stay on the hunt for who you've not yet become. Until next time. Are you over 35 and in need of a solid training program? Are you looking to improve your athleticism and keep up with the younger athletes in your CrossFit gym? Then look no further than our Invictus Masters program. This program places year-round emphasis on mobility and stability exercises with movements that we have seen directly benefit our master's athletes. Our program is led by Nicole DeHart and offers a training program designed specifically for master's athletes who are looking to compete at a higher level in the sport of CrossFit. Some of our top master's athletes in the world train with us, including CrossFit Games champion Kevin Kester, Matt Beals, and Pat Sprague. You can learn more about their stories and the Invictus Masters program by checking out their episodes right here on the Invictus Mindset Podcast. If you'd like more information about the current training cycle or to join the Invictus Masters program, please email Nicole at InvictusAthlete.com. That's N-I-C-H-O-L-E at InvictusAthlete.com. Breathing, movement, circulation, digestion. What do all these body functions have in common? Our muscles. There are over 600 muscles in the human body that are responsible for supporting our daily activities. That's why your muscle health is incredibly important. On this podcast, I always discuss seeking our peak expression and striving to maximize our human potential. And so I try to share with you the top products that I find on the market. My HMB is a clinically proven ingredient that has been shown to help build and maintain lean muscle mass, increase strength, improve recovery, and enhance body composition. Learn more about your muscle health at myhmb.com slash Invictus. Once again, that's myhmb.com slash Invictus. Enhance your muscle health and enhance your life.